Game Changers Podcast, inspiring leaders of tomorrow. Hey guys, welcome hey guys. to Game Changers Podcast. This is our mentor series, and today we have a very old friend of mine and uh, a great, great human being, Anthony Zorzetto. Welcome on the podcast, Anthony. Good to have you back. Thanks. Happy to be back. This is great. Yeah. And um, for people that don't know, I'm saying back, but uh, because we actually did record a podcast with Anthony a few years ago, but because of technical issues, we could never get that out. So I'm really happy that, you know, we were able, we found the opportunity to have you on again. And, um, you know, I feel like even that the last episode we did together, you had so much to offer and I, and I got to learn so much from you. So I'm really glad that we're going to be able to share that, um, again. Awesome. Likewise. Yeah. And for people that don't know, Anthony is the founder of Anvil Construction, um, and his story is, you know, I guess in brief words, homeless to millionaire, right? And and we'll we'll delve deeper into that as we go through the podcast. Uh, but even now, I mean, I want to start off with a lot of the awareness that you're creating. With um, I know you've been doing a lot of work for you did you did 215 laps for every single grave that was found in Kamloops, and you know you spent 12 hours just the whole day, just doing those laps, just to create awareness. Tell us a little bit more about your thought process into that. Sure. Sure. So, uh, actually it took me a little bit longer. It took me closer to, I think it was like 14 or 15 hours to do it. But, um, when I saw it on the news, I saw that there's 215 grays found, you know, it's like, it's obviously super tragic. And then I, I heard that there was some three-year-old there children as young as, as three years old. And that's how old my son is. And that's when it really started to, uh, to affect my, my heart really. So I, I decided I wanted to do something and, and do, uh, not just a donation. Cause it's so, super easy for anybody to just click a button and donate. I'd rather just bring awareness by, by donating time, volunteering time and doing something difficult. And I, I don't think people could really realize how much 215 actually is. Like you, you hear that number and, and you're like, you know, it's kind of in the like, holy shit, Mark, <laughs> like, wow, 215 mm-hmm. grades. It's that's wild. But if you, if you laid out 215 shoes or 215, anything, it it's a long, long line. So in order to show the scale of what 215 actually is, I decided to do a hill close to my house, which is uh 440 feet long uh, 440 feet up, 440 feet down. And it's a, it's a very wide hill. So given the COVID restrictions and everything like that, we could safely get, uh, volunteers to come join me without AHS getting mad. So yeah, that's what we did. I started at 6am and, uh, went until it was done. And, uh, we had, you know, 45 to 50 people show up throughout the day, come do one or two, some did 10, uh, some did 30, had a couple do 50 with me and they brought granola bars and bagels and donuts and water and Gatorade and all that kind of stuff so that I, I could be successful for the day. Uh, and it, it worked out really good because we had uh, several Métis and Cree folks come out and, and join me. And it was, it was, uh, it was eye-opening to hear their stories as we were climbing the hill, they were talking to me about how their, their mom and dad was they were in a residential school or their grandparents were in a residential school and listening to how uh how horrible it was i, I never really uh paid any mind to it to be completely honest I was ignorant to to what it was i had no i, I really had no idea what it was 
And, yeah, they uh, just started teaching in school. So like there, there's no way that you would have known even. Yeah, I had no idea. And I, at first when I heard residential school, all, all I thought about was I assumed that it was people that didn't have families uh, that got adopted by these families to go into the residential school system. I was completely ignorant to it. I had no idea. And uh, like I said, hearing that there was three-year-olds, I looked at my son and then I looked at the door in my house and I thought, that's no different than if the government created uh, a, a police force to come into my house and take my son away and say, we're taking your son away because you don't know how to parent and we need him to be incorporated into today's society. So that really struck a chord with me. And, and, uh, that's, that's how I, that's the reason why I did it. It's it all started right there with that thought. Mm. And, and, you know, major respects for you, you know, to you for doing that, because I think, you know, a lot of the time where how society is working these days is you just post a story on your Instagram and then you forget about it. And, and I have so much respect for you for actually taking action for yourself and for your family, because, you know, you want to be known, you know, you said you have, you have a son of your own and, you know, that, I think that really hit a chord with you. And, you know, it's, it's amazing that you did that. Um, I saw it all over social media as well. People were joining a lot of my friends that I know were there as well. And um, yeah, it's, it's insane how you were able to do that because 14, 15 hours is, it's not a joke to, to, you know, run up and down. And um, yeah, that's astounding. And I mean, you know, it's kind of developed into it's, you know, there's more and more stories coming out. You're talking about these stories that people are sharing. Now there's 751 unmarked graves found in Saskatchewan. So, I mean, yep. and like where, where, you know, like, where do we go from here? And, you know, even for me, like I'm someone who I think, is not that knowledgeable on this topic and I'm learning more and more as, as awareness is being created and I'm finding out more and they do teach us a little bit about it in school, but now we're really finding out what happened uh, in terms of, you know, the open truth. So, I mean, yeah. on, what are your thoughts? Like where, where do we go from here with all this information? Like what's, you know, what's the, what's the future looking like for, for everyone? You know what? I think now that we we're finding all these graves and we have social media and everything's getting shared, we're getting a lot of information. So I think the main thing, or one of the main things, one of the main goals and objectives would be to keep spreading awareness and showing that this happened. Uh, and we're not, you know, as in Canada, we're not sinless to this. Uh, and obviously trying to rally the troops to get some donations together to, to donate to these residential school survivors and make sure they have the, the tools and resources they need to continue because this doesn't just happen to a generation. This is generational. So, you know, growing up without parents, that's really difficult. That's, that is one, that's almost an impossibility to be incorporated into the society as a, as a, you know, normal quote unquote functioning human being that, that uh, contributes and gets a job and pays taxes and, is respectful. And you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, the more people, the more that people know that this happened, the more we're able to, you know, gather the funds and the resources need to needed to, uh, to help out. And I think the helping and helping out comes in many forms, such as education, I think is one of the biggest things. Obviously money is a big deal because without money, you, you don't have very many resources. There's only so many hugs you can give out, but 
money can, you know, build, build schools, help curriculums, like help people get into curriculums and, and the books they need in the school supplies and all that kind of stuff. And we can, you know, talk about the fresh water. They don't have fresh water in a lot of the reserves. And, uh, a lot of it too comes with a massive stigma. Uh, I know maybe we could start breaking that stigma and, and, uh, educating the people that had no idea that this happened. Yeah. One thing with the fresh water that, uh, I, uh, I think it's like insane as I was taking this like Harvard course a year ago, like those free ones, cause, uh, yep. I had time to kill and it was like yep. economics on cities. And it said that when we developed our fresh water sources, that's when it extended our lifetime as a human race from like 40 to like close to 80. And that's mm -hmm. insane. Like you can't live without fresh water. And it's insane that some place in North America and a developed country doesn't have fresh water for its people. It's yeah. like insane. Yeah. It's on, it's, it's uh well, it's unacceptable is what it is. And yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's tragic. I, you take it for granted, right? Like growing up, I was, I had access to, you know, everything, fresh water, food, yeah, everything. I never really had to think about it. And now that I, you know, you get older and you start thinking about these things, because especially because I have a son, like if my son didn't know where his next meal was from, or if he was going to get fresh water or not, that's, that's uh that's a stress that no child should have to go through. They should be stressing about other things, innocent things, not living or dying. It's not, it's not okay. Especially in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's all really tragic what's happening, but it's like you said, it's, it's good that, you know, at least there's, this is causing a lot of awareness and with social media, there's a lot of truth being shared openly. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, people that are watching, they do find an opportunity to donate, do their part, um, and contribute to these other causes like fresh water and, um, you know, just helping these families that have suffered for so long. Um, yeah. but from there, you know, I, I do want to kind of shift to you, Anthony, because I know you have a, a, an amazing story of yourself, right? We mentioned earlier at the start of the podcast, you know, homeless to millionaire and there it's literally true, you know, and, and I want to mm -hmm. start off with the initial part because every, you know, everyone knows, you know, you're founder of Anvil Construction. And I mean, tell us a little bit about how, um, I guess, um, you know, how successful your company and organization has been now, because I want to bring that up before we go into your startings and your troubles. So it shows perspective of where you can be. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So now we're, we're, you know, when I first started Anvil, we were doing really small jobs. Now we're building buildings downtown, renovating buildings downtown and, awesome. and, uh, you know, strip malls, car dealerships, all that kind of stuff uh, from the ground up, as well as the retrofits, like I mentioned, um, we're doing a, a historical building downtown right now. We're gutting it completely and transforming it into a into a large restaurant, big chain. Um, yeah, it's been it's been really good and and kind of a like a new world. Well, not like a new world, but mostly looking back, I'm like I can't believe I'm here from where I used to be. Like my first job with Anvil Construction is a 200 square foot laminate job. I think it paid me $300. Mm. So now when, when we're sending out invoices, they're, they're a million plus. So it's, uh, it's, it's been amazing. It's been, 
yeah, it's been great and, and a passion of mine for sure. So, That's awesome. um, yeah. Yeah. And, and you're pretty humble about it. You haven't, <laughs> you're, you're, you're playing it down, but, um, I know these guys are <laughs> doing crazy amounts of business and even yourself, you've done very well for yourself, uh, financially and even the organization that you've built, the team that you've built and, uh, you know, you have a beautiful family now and, I mean, that's all great, but I, I want to go back, you know, track back a few years and the start of, you know, before, you know, you started this transformation, the troubles, the troubled period you went through, which has led yeah. to you now doing motivational speaking on drug abuse and mental health and all these other challenges people are facing. I mean, you know, I mean, where do you start? You know, what, what happened at the, at the beginning? Well, just kind of like, uh, like most people that, grew up the way I did. So, so I grew up, I grew up in, in a small town outside of Edmonton, Beaumont. Um, my parents split up when I was in grade five, going grade five, going into grade six. And then we moved to the city and it, you know, it, there's, there's some trauma that comes with divorce, but it's not, I kind of downplay it as much as I can because there's, there's, that's really not much compared to what else is going on in, in the world, especially when you consider places like Yemen and war stricken places and stuff like that. And I really think about that. So I just try to try to mm -hmm. keep the, you know, the, the trauma virtue signaling to a, to a minimum because <laughs> mm -hmm. there's lots worse things going on. But, um, I started off, uh, like where, where should I start here? Um, okay. So I started working for a large company when I finished high school, I got my apprenticeship. Uh, for, as a carpenter, I became a German journeyman carpenter, relatively young. I think I was one of the younger one, you know, one of the youngest guys in my company to uh, get his journeyman as a carpenter. Um, and uh, you know, I saved up to buy my condo. And th the way I did that is I was working while I was going through school. I was doing all these side jobs, so I was building decks and fences and minor kitchen renovations, roofing, attic insulation, all that kind of stuff on top of my school my schoolwork. And, uh, when I finished, I continued my, my, uh, my carpentry. Um, but I started to notice that on the weekends I would go out just like everybody else, especially in the trades. A lot of people would go out on the weekends and just get blackout drunk and, and, uh, just, you know, live for the weekend and reward yourself for, for a hard week. Uh, so instead of doing that, I recognize that it early that I, you know, I wasn't able to just have one or two beers. I'd have to have like a dozen, I'd have to get drunk. So, um, I was always fiscally responsible, uh, you know, in my early twenties. So instead of going out to the bars, I decided to work at the bars because I'm an extrovert. I needed to be out and stuff like that. So I started working at the bars instead, and I saved all this money to buy my first condo. And I was kind of the, you know, first one in my family to buy a condo. I was 20. Um, I was, you know, living it up. I had mm. a bunch of friends and success and I, I was really in a good, good place. And, um, yeah, just one, one birthday party and my buddy's birthday party, I was introduced to, uh, to cocaine. And, uh, it was one of those things that you keep hearing, uh, you know, I, I did one line and the second it went up my nose, I was like, I'm, I'm hooked on this, not mm. hooked in a way where I'm going to give up my whole life to pursue this drug but just that feeling of endorphins and dopamine that got pumped through me i knew that was like it was like that and i'm like this is my this is my shit i've always liked adrenaline and 
and high paced things. And, and that's exactly what that did. So you do have a bit of an addictive personality as well, right? Like you, you said this before. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. It's not just a bit. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I I've toned it down a little bit, but I've, I've more so used it to my advantage. Now I can kind of tool into things that are mm. into things that are healthy. Mm. So yeah, just all, it all kind of started there and it's turned into a weekend habit. And then it turned into the Friday night and the Saturday night. And then it turned into, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember ranch Wednesdays, we mm. go to the ranch at this nightclub here, at this bar here, this country bar here. We would go there. It's closed now, but yeah. Yeah. It's called the uh, tavern. It it's like, mm-hmm. no, it's a, uh, it's kind of like Greta downtown, but it's something else. Uh, it's going to, that's going to kill me, but it's like, it's uh arcade games and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, beer kid. Is that, is that what it is? No, no beer kids. Another one. That's why so there's so many new places now. It's I think it's the midway one. Midway. That's a way. That's yeah. right. Thank you. Yes. Midway. So I like all a, a different demographic now, like even like a younger demographic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So back when it was the ranch, it was like a dollar for a highball or something like that. So we would go party on Wednesday and then they would spill into Thursday. And then, then it's like, okay, now it's Friday night. So let's go get fucked up Friday night. And then it's okay. Let's Saturday night. That's the one where you really pop off. And then, Mm. and then it started turning into like taco Tuesday, wing Wednesday. There's a, you know, tankard Thursdays and whatever. If you could put a name to it, we would celebrate it. and the drugs started trickling in on those days as well. Mm. So, so, you know, that, that started happening and I started to get comfortable with being high and, and I'd, so I'd see it out. And, uh, at the time I was married and, and I had an, I had my first business venture and that started to fail. Both started to fail the marriage and the, the company, uh, because a couple of reasons, first of all, I wasn't getting paid on a lot of these jobs. I got taken advantage of because, in construction, being in your young twenties, like you're a baby. Construction owners, they're typically older because it's such a long game. You don't just you don't just do construction. You have to learn construction. Yeah. So and it's a super traditionally like built business, you know? Yeah, that's right. It's ground up, build your relationships. You, you know, you have to get your foot in the door to really network. And then the experience is utmost importance. So um, yeah, you know, I was having, I was very behind on, uh, accounts receivable and I just kind of like gave up cause I was chasing all these people and I didn't have money for a lawyer. Three big, large jobs didn't, uh, they didn't pay off for me. So that started to sewer. And then I, I started to cope by, by drinking and just kind of getting blasted and doing cocaine. So I would be in a different, different realm of of world. So I didn't have to think about all the, all the debt I was inquired. I was occurring and, and, uh, I didn't have to face reality. Really. It's, it was just a big escape for me. And, um, eventually the marriage fizzled out. Uh, my company went under and I, before I knew it, I had about 15 cents to my name and, uh, I just couldn't, couldn't go forward anymore. But I also tried to get a job. I couldn't hold a job because I started to become addicted to cocaine. I wasn't doing it partying anymore. I was just doing it to cope. So I started doing, um, you know, I lost my house. I lost my truck. I lost, 
my health and my friends and respect for myself, respect from others. And I was hiding it from my family. And, you know, before you know it, I was, I was on the street. Mm-hmm. So, uh, doing these little side jobs to get some cash and it was just to feed my cocaine addiction. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it went, it's expensive. Yeah, it's very expensive. Yeah. Like how much does it cost like to, on a daily basis? Well, the thing about using cocaine every day is your tolerance goes up. So, you know, a gram is about 60 to a hundred dollars, depending on what the, on the quality and where you are. So I was doing, uh, my habit was about $250 a day. Jeez. So, yeah. So you're you're earning, basically you work eight hours, uh, all the money that you earn or whatever, then it all just goes to that. Yeah. Yeah. And people also don't, they take a, uh, sorry, uh, they take, um, they don't take into account the fact that when you get those, that $250 from doing a side job or whatever, you lose two days because of the hangover and coming down and you're high and you can't think. And as a, as a carpenter, you can't read a tape measure if you're fucked up. So you have to call in sick or let a client down and that snowballs. And then you get this anxiety. You're like, Oh my God, I let this client down. I let this person down. I let this, I let my friend down, you know, that someone gave me an opportunity to work with them. And I had to call and say, I don't feel good. And you're constantly lying. You're constantly letting people down on top of coming down off of drugs. It's just a crippling Mm. depression that is unexplainable to anyone who hasn't gone through it. It's, it's something that you could never really compare anything to. So, um, yeah. So I, pardon me at that point, you never, you never got help, uh, from, from anyone like in your family or anybody? No, I never reached out. I never reached out because I, I was the, I was kind of the tough one in the family and I was the first one to, you know, get their journeyman ticket and get a condo and, you know, buy a truck and have a respectful job and all that kind of stuff. I was kind of the, the leader in that sense. And I was very proud of what I portrayed and, and, uh, what I was able to accomplish. So I was just too afraid to approach my family. Not that they would be mad. Maybe they'd be upset and, you know, hindsight's 2020. I know they would help me now, but I just didn't want to be a disappointment. And, uh, that's all I, that's all I knew at that time. Just, I would just disappoint myself and everybody around me every day, every minute of the day. So I didn't want anything further. So I, I would rather just be homeless than disappoint them. And remember too, cocaine consumes your 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 body and your brain it actually the reason it's a disease is it it tells your brain to fire different neurons and it it hijacks your hijacks your biochemistry so you get these fake endorphins and dopamine and you just seek that out that's all you care about because it's or else you get sick like your body that's all that's all it wants so what does it feel uh, like i mean what's that what's the experience and you know why is it so addicting well, it hijacks your endorphins and dopamine. So endorphins are, that's what happens after you do a job well done. So you put in, let's say you're painting your bedroom or something like that. You finish painting your bedroom and you stand back and you look and you're like, I did that. Mm-hmm. That feeling of accomplishment, that's endorphins. Yeah. Or after you work out to failure or work out, you know, you're whatever, you yeah, just go, you, you're... Yeah. When you work out yeah. failure or after like a 12, 13 hour day at work, like you're like, oh yeah. my gosh. So I can yeah, see you're like, 
yeah, my job is done and I, I earned, I earned, I earned this. I did this. I, I accomplished this. So that feeling, imagine getting that feeling, but you get it like this. You just yeah. do one line and you get it in the snap of a finger. So what's easier, <laughs> right? And on top of that, it feels good. The first couple lines feel really good, really good. And uh, you you chase that dragon. That's that saying. You chase the dragon is it's it applies to just that. You want that first feeling of euphoria, and you never really get it. But you lie to yourself and think you can. So, mm. but some some people say like, oh, it's not it's not addicting, or just do it one time, or like I guess what's your response to that? Yeah, they're lying. <laughs> uh, I've met one person in my life that could has like a disassociation with it. They could do like one or two lines a year or something like that. You know, uh, Christmas or new year's Eve or, you know, Halloween party or whatever it is, they could do a couple lines. I've only met one person that can do that. Everybody else, you know, they, if they say they can do just a few, like typically they're lying in my experience. Like there's, there's just no way, or they have another demon, their drug of choice is something else or, they're addicted to sex or porn or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, it, there's usually something else to that story in my experience. So, right. um, yeah, yeah. Those, those, those people typically are, you know, full of shit. <laughs> um, so, I mean, going from there, I want to ask you, so you said you, from there, you kind of ended up being homeless and almost penniless. So, I mean, what was that experience like just, like, what did you do like to get by day to day? Like, where'd you get your food from and all those things? Yeah, it was, it was awful. So, uh, typically what I would do, I'd go to the save on food near the house that I, that I had, or used to have after it got taken away and I would go to the self checkout. I'd walk into the self checkout. I'd grab a couple grocery bags, plastic bags, and then I would go get like things that are easy to eat right away. So packaged things like, uh, like Oreos or chunky soup or pre pre-packaged anything, a lot of protein bars or whatever. I'd grab those, put them in a bag and I'd walk out like I paid and I wouldn't feel bad because you're, you're, it's really hard to explain, but you're not yourself. Mm. It's, you know, you're this other version, this lesser version, this like gross caustic version of yourself. Uh, so you don't really care that you didn't pay and you got to eat. So yet you, you kind of put yourself into the zone of, you got to do what you got to do. And so you go do it. Mm. So that's how I would get my food. And my, basically my day to day was just trying to figure out how I can find a hundred to $250 to it. So I could, you know, feed my cocaine addiction. Mm. And then I would just go back to this wooded area near my house and I would sleep outside. I would just sleep there in this little makeshift tent. And I am a carpenter after all, so I can kind of build. Right. <laughs> so I'd, I'd make this, uh, this kind of decent camp and I would just, just live there and eat my cold chunky soup and whatever my teeth could handle. Cause my teeth started to, to rot out and stuff like that. Cause that's what happens. Cause you, you know, you ingest the cocaine through your nose and you get the drips and then you, the acetone eats away at, at your, your teeth enamel and you're not brushing your teeth. Cause you don't give a fuck about that. All you care about is getting high. Mm, yeah. So that was really the day to day, man. It was just, Going to get food and last for, uh, I was outside like literally just like that for about nine, nine or 10 months. 
Jeez. Yeah. And in Edmonton, that sucks, man. <laughs> it's getting, oh, yeah, it gets really cold. Oh my yeah, god! I, I can't even imagine like the the winters. Like, I mean, how did you how did you get by in the winters? Like, I would just have my work gear. I still save something, so I had these Baffin boots that were good to minus fifty. So I would always wear those and wool socks, and and uh, I would just layer up, and then I would go to the Seven Eleven near my house and just kind of pretend I was shopping for something and just warm up a little bit and. I'd go to a friend's house, but at the very beginning, when I didn't look so distraught and fucked up, I would go to a couple friends' house and, uh, you know, say like, well, you know, let's uh, have a couple beers at the hot tub or whatever, and I'd spend a couple nights there and go to another friend's, you know, and just try to, just try to make it seem like I wanted to hang out, but really I was just trying to get warm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and, and so, I mean, so from there, I mean, that's like the low point and really, really the lowest point. But after that, after those nine, 10 months, like what was the turning point for you? I guess what, what changed? Well, basically the stars aligned really. Um, I had, I had run out of ways to find money and get money and, uh, to put it into perspective, I'm 190 pounds right now. and kind of like very low body fat. I'm very into bodybuilding and jujitsu mm -hmm. and stuff. And so, yeah, about 190 pounds back then I was 145, 150. Oh, wow. uh, so I turned into like a skeleton. So if you hadn't seen me for about a year, you wouldn't even recognize me barely. And what had happened was I had three or four days without getting my drug, which means I start getting your, you start getting your brain back. You start getting your, even your drive, even your like, like, yo, what am I doing? You're looking around I'm under a tarp and it's fucking freezing out. And like, what am I doing? How did I get here? I used to be this successful guy in my early twenties. I bought a condo. I bought a house or sorry, I bought a truck. I bought a cash my first truck. I bought cash. You know what I mean? Like mm. it's always in my fitness. I had a bunch of friends. I was always working and what happened? Where did my drive go? I don't give a fuck about anything else except for drugs. Now what happened? Mm. And you kind of are able to stop and reflect and think about these things. And it just so happened. I ran into an old friend of mine who was actually just a, uh, like he was a plumber, uh, on, on some of my job sites. And he had this buddy that he's kind of this, like this, like e eclectic dude that did all these like little side jobs and stuff like that. And he's this Christian guy that had wicked energy, like 12 out of 10 energy. It's I've still, I've never seen anyone like that. And he ran into me and, and, uh, with, with my other friend who is a plumber and he's like, Anthony. And I was like, yeah, man. He's like, what the fuck? He's not shy. He's not shy to ask. Like, what the fuck happened to you? What? Like you're, you're 140 pounds. Like what, what happened? Mm -hmm. And then for whatever reason, man, I, I had nothing to lose and I was very vulnerable and I felt comfortable talking to him for whatever reason. And I said, you know, listen, man, I got addicted to cocaine and this is what happened. And, you know, my marriage fizzled out and I lost my business. I lost my house. I lost my self-respect. I don't, can't talk to my family. And, you know, I just kind of broke down and told him the truth. And him as a Christian said, you know what, man, get in, get the fuck in my, get in my truck. And uh, we're going to go to Chris's house, buddy of mine still to this day and uh, get you some food and we're going to hang out and see what's up. And you could see. You could see the worry in both his name is Dan. You could see the worry in Dan's eyes and you could see the worry in Chris's eyes. Like, 
man, this guy, they, both these guys used to kind of look up to me mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. they're like, what, what happened? So mm-hmm. we were able to sit down and have this really empathetic, detailed conversation. And I was able to just let it all out and break down and, you know, cry and just tell them the truth. And I instantly felt good and I instantly felt comfortable with them. And I, you know, they said, you know, we want to help you. So what can we do? And I said, well, I don't want help because I was stubborn still for some reason. But I said, what we can do is say, Chris, you're a plumber. Dan, you're a tile setter. Anthony, I'm a carpenter. Maybe we can help each other out on our side jobs because everybody did side jobs. So that's what we did. Dan had a couple of jobs that needed a carpenter. So I did some carpentry for him. I used all his tools because I hawked all mine for drugs. Mm. And, um, well, you know, I was able to f- feel comfortable with doing that because I didn't feel like a, like a leech, like a low life and, you know, like a typical junkie. So, uh, it was a win, win, win situation. And, uh, once I started to get a couple of days clean, five to seven, then you get you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, start becoming more and more yourself. And I, I was able to open up to them and be honest and say, Hey man, like when we get paid for this work, you can't give me any cash. Cause I'm just going to go do drugs. So that's what happened. We, you know, we just, you know, I just stayed away from the debit card and I didn't see any cash. And we were just able to just go out and, and, uh, you know, get a cup, get some beers and, go to brew house and just develop this camaraderie. And, you know, it's, it's not very good. And, and, an, uh, an addictive side of things, you're not supposed to go out and drink, but for whatever reason, for me going out and drinking, I was able to, to become vulnerable and, and talk to these guys about what's really going on in, in my life and my brain and how I think. And, you know, we just kind of just flourish into really good friends and, and, uh, they just had my back and mm. after kind of before I to make a long story short before I knew it, I knew it, I was myself again. Mm, so yeah. yeah, once I became myself, I was able to start a business with, with Dan and really, you know, put my notes to the grindstone and, and, and go. Cause I have unmatchable work ethic still to this day. Uh, and so did Dan for sure. Um, so that's kind of how I got clean. It's wow. just that that sense of purpose and working yourself so much that you didn't have time to think about anything else. And of course, I had I've had multiple relapses because you know we try be like, hey, Anthony, you can have your own money. So I'd have like five hundred dollars from a job we did, yeah. And then I would go right right into buying drugs because that's what your brain does. It's just mm. I wasn't fully developed again yet. So, but it, you know, over time and you know, it took a couple of years to, to get to the point where I wasn't going to do drugs anymore. Uh, it's a long road and, and it's a, it's a tough battle for the people that help you. So if you're, you know, anyone who's listening, if you got a family member, a friend or anything like that, and you want to really tangibly help them get out of drug addiction, I mean, really help them. You're in for a fucking marathon, a hard one. You know what I mean? So kudos to them to yeah, I mean- helping me out and, that those are some, I mean, I feel like you're blessed to have friends like that because I mean, you know, for someone to put up with all that and, you know, put in so much time and energy to help you get through an obstacle like that. I mean, it's, it's rare to find people like that in your life. 
yeah, it's no small feat. And that's, that's a true friend. And if you really want to, uh, well, let me reword that. If you consider what I went through and put myself through, I like to say, I don't like to say I went through it. I put myself through it. Mm. Um, the amount of people that just kind of ghost you and don't help you out, you really get to see who your friends are, who, who's really going to put in the work. And, you know, you don't really, you don't really forget that. But at the same time, you don't, you don't have to put up with that. Mm. Like if, if you have a friend that becomes an addict and you've tried everything you can within your wheelhouse and within your mental health capacity, you cannot be blamed for letting them go. There's only so many, so many times you can be lied to and taken advantage of and stuff like that. But if you got a brother or someone you consider a brother, you go in, you go in for it. And that's what, that's what they did for me. Mm. Okay. So that, that's, that's exactly why my Instagram looks the way it does, you know, like sitting in those bushes and thinking about it. There's no way I can, I can get out of this. Like I, I had two suicide attempts, one of which was almost a physical impossibility for me to live. And I lived and after, you know, not right after that, but thinking back to those moments, I'm like, I got to give back. So that the best way I can do it with, with, being able to grow my businesses and be a good fat father and a good partner to my, to my girlfriend. I, you know, the best way to do it is to just tailor my Instagram to the way it is. I would love to take in all these people and help them the way that I was helped, but it's just not scalable and I have to look after my family. So uh, the best way to do it is just, is through Instagram and just showing my life lessons and how I got out of it and how I got through it. And, and you know breaking the stigma within stigmas like there's a, a lot of unpopular opinions that i have within the addiction community that i talk about like for example being sober is good enough a lot of people will say that and i argue it's not good enough it's good enough at a per, as, at a per at a certain time for sure so you know mm. being sober is good enough for a while but then after that you have to move on I go to these groups. I used to go to group and I'd look around. And I'm like, these guys are all fucking victims. They just stay here. They stay at this level. Mm. And that's just not, that's not for me. Yeah. If, you're, if, if you're a heroin addict or a crack addict and your, your goal is getting sober, that is good enough. That is good enough. But once you get sober, what are you going to do then? You're just going to just work every day on just being sober and that's it. The fuck kind of life is that? Mm. I think it's unacceptable. So the way you look at it, the way I look at it is I look at it as a giant ladder and the rung of sobriety should be like number five out of 30. Mm. So get sober. Okay. Now move on. Now maybe try to start a business or try to move up the corporate ladder or try to do something you're passionate about and monetize it. Try to become the best dad you could be. Try to become a hockey coach for your kid. Try to, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You're finding more activities, you know, like being sober, it's, like it, it's, it's a challenge and it's progress. But again, you, like you said, like after one point, you have to find more activities and more, uh, you know, something to bring purpose to your life. Right. You know, you got to find meaning. Yeah. yeah, that's right. If you, if your goal and objective is just to become sober, you have a different amount of, you have something different to accomplish. You have to find a way so that it's second nature. It, you can't just rely on discipline to get you through not doing drugs and not drinking alcohol. Cause it won't work. Yeah. There's a saying, if you take, if you take uh laxative 
you can't willpower yourself not to shit yourself. <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> you cannot rely on discipline to in in that in that sense, mm-hmm. right? So you have to find something that works for you. And you know, to be honest, the thing that worked for me the most besides finding purpose, finding purpose is number one. But I did this psilocybin trip and I gave myself like a guided meditation so that I could dissociate myself with drugs and why I was doing it. And I found out that, you know, I was, so just to kind of paint a picture for you guys, I went on, I did this hero dose. So I think I did about five grams, which I don't know if you guys have ever done psilocybin, but that's a fucking lot. You're in another dimension when you do that. Mm. But as I was coming down, I I went for a run. I actually randomly ran ran like 20 kilometers. (laughs) Mm. And uh, while I was going through this kind of forest wooded area, there's this windy path. And the windy path was shaded because the evergreen trees were massive. And I was going through this winded winded path and I can kind of see the very end there's daylight and it was about you know 10 in the morning or whatever it was there was daylight it was a hot day and the windy path was showing me these evergreen trees and the branches you know you get a tree you get a tree trunk for about four feet three feet and then branches start so Mm -hmm. I thought to myself I'm like maybe what I'm doing is instead of going through the path of shadow and darkness and scariness what I do is I go to these tree burrows, I call them, and I hang on to the tree because I'm familiar with it. I'm familiar with this tree. Okay, this is a tree. I'm going to hold on to this because if I stay on this path, maybe this demon will come get me or something I don't know will come get me because I can't clearly see the objective. So I would just hang out there and that would be a cocaine addiction. I would hang out a cocaine addiction because I knew it. Mm-hmm. You, you, you get money, you buy cocaine, you deal with your pain, you come down, rinse and repeat. Or I would go to this other tree and be like, okay, if I get blackout drunk, I don't have to face what happened to me as a child or as a, uh, you know, a, a victim of divorce or I lost my company or poor me or whatever. I would just hang out this tree. And then as I was walking, I'm like, yeah, this is what I did. This is my traumas as a childhood in my childhood. This is my traumas as a cocaine addict. This is my traumas being homeless. This is my traumas as my grandpa said something to me one time or my uncle or whatever. I recognized all these tree burrows as just this familiarity of, of peace. And I didn't want that anymore. I just kept walking. Finally, and you can't, like, it's hard to explain without going through a psilocybin trip, but I got to my last, the last tree and there was this shadow that was casted and it looked like a starting line. And I stopped uh, while I was in the shadow and I put my hands up. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is the last time I do any sort of drug or anything. Mm -hmm. And I jumped past it. And the warmth of the sun was cast onto my face and my body. And I felt like that was it. Mm. And it wasn't at that moment where I realized that being sober wasn't my end all be all. I was built built for greatness and built for something else. And I implore people to find their doesn't necessarily have to be through psilocybin but i implore people to find their their purpose and their meaning and their their drive and figure out what makes them tick and what can be the next thing whether that's being a guidance counselor or starting a podcast like you guys or starting a a multi-million dollar business or becoming a life coach or whatever it may be if you find your purpose 
you'll never go a day with of your life without um having that purpose that's yeah. yours you can no one can take that away from you yeah. and yeah. being sober is is not a is not a purpose that i wanted to just stay in it wasn't good enough for me yeah and i feel like like you're less likely to go back because you have people relying on you and and you can take more like pride in yourself because you uh understand like what you're here to do you know that's right if you if you realize why you're put on this earth and what your sense of purpose is you can't go wrong and i'm not saying that's 100% perfect every time of course anyone listening if you relapse or you've had a drink when you said you weren't going to it, it doesn't mean you start at ground zero all the work you did before is not for nothing. Mm, you just, yeah. just pick up and carry on. Yeah. Um, I, I want also want to quickly touch on, if you don't mind, I know it's, it's men's mental health month and we just did a episode, me and Jaden um, last week, we did one and we put that out there. And I mean, I think you've had your fair share of mental health issues and I know you have that suicide story. If um, you know, if, if you would like to share, I think it can maybe give some perspective if you're comfortable sharing that. Um, that you sure. went through uh about the suicide yeah yeah no problem so um back then i was at i still had my condo and i made myself a deal and i said okay if i i, I had some some cocaine left over from the night before because i passed out and i said if i can sit here and not do it then i'll be okay but if i if i can't and i have to do it then i'm fucked and I, I, there's no way I'm going to get any better. So it la lasted about probably under 10 seconds, to be honest. And I did some. So I was like, that's it. Like, there's no way out of this. Like, I've let my family down. I let myself down. I've let all my friends down. I've let everybody down, including like everybody. Just let everybody down. So I decided at that moment, I'm going to kill myself. There's no way out of this. It's impossible. And try to try to remember, too, when you're a cocaine addict, your brain is not your brain. It's just kind of rented. So mm. I, I waited for my family to go on their yearly Hawaii trip, trip, which I was supposed to go to. And I lied and said that I lost my passport, but really my whole plan was to uh, kill myself while they were in Hawaii, because I thought it was a, I thought it was a, like a respectful mood and move. And I was being courteous so that when they found out the news that I had killed myself, at least they're in Hawaii in a nice place. <laughs> so like, I thought that was a good idea. Like that, that's how fucked up my brain was. Right. Um, so yeah, I waited for them to go to Hawaii and, and, uh, I, uh, I, I bought, uh, I think it was a half of an ounce of cocaine. I bought some sleeping pills and I bought a two, six of Jack Daniels whiskey. And, uh, I did mostly all of it, most of it thinking that I would OD and I almost did. I went into a fit and I remember seeing this, this kind of figure by this, this door that I had. And that's where I would kind of tweak out. I would go to this, this place next to my sliding door, because that's where I thought either the cops or the drug dealers or whoever is going to break in and, and kill me or take me away or whatever. And so that one spot had like a bad energy about it. Anyways, I, I kind of was coming out of my fit and I remember not being able to breathe. And I looked and there was this kind of figure, not like a, not like a human figure, but like this light that was emanating from there or illuminating from there rather. And, uh, it just gave me this warmth of 
you know, release. And it was like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You don't, you have a family, you have purpose, you're destined for great things. What, why is, why are you killing yourself? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you look at these other stories where, you know, the guy that jumped off the golden gate bridge and he ended up living, he said, the first thing he thought of when he jumped was that was instant regret, not regret because, Oh my God, this is going to hurt. It was, what am I doing? I have a life. I have people in my life. I, you know, I have a purpose. And that's kind of the, the message I got out of that was I'm here for a reason and killing myself is only going to just hurt the people around me. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. I kind of, I straightened out after that for a few days, but drugs are so powerful that, you know, I used again, I actually, I think I used again the next day, but I didn't want to kill myself. So it was kind of like a progress. (laughs) If you, if you will, if you could find a little bit of progress, that was a progress. At least I didn't want to kill myself anymore. so yeah, it's, you know, if I could say anything about, about suicide, it's, it's that you matter and there's somebody looking up to you that you don't even know. Mm. You know what I mean? I get messages, you know, fairly frequently people I've never met before. And they just say like, Hey, just wanted to let you know that your, your post about suicide awareness or your post about being vulnerable and showing your 12 steps and how you went through the 12 steps it really helped me or really helped my brother or I, I had courage to check myself into rehab. Like you never know who's looking up to you. Mm. It could be your little brother. It could be your little cousin, could be your mom. You never know. Mm. So my message would be that it like you matter and you do make a difference. And all you got to do is work a little bit on yourself, little increments every day and you, you'll get better. You will get better. And also, to the people that say suicide is is selfish, the act is sel- itself. You can understand how that looks selfish. I, I understand that and I empathize with that. But the person who wants to commit suicide, what they are thinking is that they are taking the burden of themselves off of you. They think that they're actually being selfless. They're not like, I'm going to kill myself so that maybe I can turn into a ghost and see who's at my funeral. and. I'm getting all this attention. No one's thinking that what they're thinking is they're going to rid the world of their burden. Yeah. They the think burden is us so low and so small and invaluable that they think, you know, um, and actually and not, not even invaluable, like as in, you know, like their presence in this world, you know, is, you know, like without their presence in the world, the world would be a better place. That's, that's basically what the mindset is like, I think. Yeah. You nailed it. I think that's what goes through many people before they commit suicide. And some people are, are suffering there's mental illness is real. That's real, Mm. big time real. And a lot of people are suffering so much. They don't think they can get better, you know? And I think there's the stigma is starting to raise uh, as in lift and, and, you know, become less and less stigmatized. And I would just implore people to just find help try to find help start mm-hmm. somewhere and talk to someone. There's all, there's eight, there's one, 800 numbers and these people will, they'll talk to you and they'll guide you in the right direction. There's mm-hmm. you, you just start, you have to just start. And I, I don't mean to say just start, 
that may that may be climbing Mount Everest to somebody. We don't know, mm. but the the tools are there. Right, right. I mean, yeah. you know, that's that's. Thanks for sharing your story. I know it's it's not it's not easy, but I mean, I, I hope somebody who's listening was able to gain some insight on you know, like you said, it's it's not about oh yeah, I'm I'm just gonna turn my life around it's just about that first small step that you need to take and that could be your starting yeah. point whatever it is and I, I mean even for you ODing was actually that step because or like even doing drugs but not with the intention to you know commit suicide that was the step for you even do like it could be the smallest thing but you know find whatever it is for you and um you know as we as we do come towards a close for podcast I mean I do you have any uh, thoughts you want to share out to people that are struggling with mental health or, um, or maybe suicide, suicidal thoughts or other mental health issues. Yes, absolutely. I want to say that, um, just to reiterate, I was at the lowest of the lows in my mind. I, I literally thought I could not get better just as you and I are, are talking. And just as you can take a fresh air and breathe as much as you know, that your next breath is guaranteed. I did not think I could get better. I thought it was a physical and mental impossibility, but I did. I did get better. And I am where I am now because I, I got help and I asked for help. So people who think that there's no out and there's no way, there's no physical way it's impossible. Oh, but you don't know my story, bro. I'm different. I actually can't get out. This is impossible. Listen, you can get out. Absolutely. 100%. You can get out. It varies person to person, but you can get out. And it all starts with little small micro adjustments. And most of that is asking for help. There's nothing wrong with that ever. Yeah. 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 One of the biggest takeaways I've, I've learned, I've, learned from this entire conversation is also how, you know, drug use is often played down and it's kind of generalized and normalized by some people. And it's so important that, um, that you're careful that who you surround yourself with, because some of these people, you never know in a moment of weakness where you might be influenced to do something that doesn't align with your values and who you want to be. Um, and also just, you know, being, being lied to, like you said that, oh, it's just one time, like, you know, I've done it all the time and like, I'm not addicted or they'll tell you lies and you, you really don't know, um, you know, um, how it will be. So always remember, like, especially any sort of drug use, um, especially when you're talking about, you know, cocaine or heroin or crack, like, you know, there's no exception. Like if you, if you do it, then you're entering a world of, you know, everything you've shared, Anthony, I mean, all those things that is a possibility for you. And, um, but uh, on the contrary, I do want to also share that anybody who is in that place or going through that struggle, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I mean, Anthony, you're, um, you're, you're, you're an, you're, I guess you're, uh, an example of what you can become in terms of where you were. You just shared everything like the lows of the lows, right. I, I don't think it can really get worse than that. And, um, you found a way to get out of that and be in a place where you are, where, you know, you're incredibly fit. You have hobbies, you have a beautiful family, you have a, you have a child that you're raising. Um, you know, your business is doing amazingly well. So, uh, I mean, kudos to you for all that you've done. And it also kind of, uh, gives an opportunity for, 
for me, and I'm not sure about Jaden, but for me, definitely like just an opportunity to be grateful, right. Of, um, like you said, that lot that, you know, being grateful for every breath and, you know, thinking about how lucky you are to be where you are, that you don't have to go through something like that. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. And, um, you know, from there, I just want to say if, as we come towards a close, if, if anyone does have any questions or have anything they want to share and, uh, you know, I know Anthony, he does this work, um, all the time. He it's, it's part of what he does. He's motivationally speaking and he's taught helping a lot of people get out of, you know, drug addiction. So, um, and even other mental health challenges. So, you know, if, if you have thoughts about any of these things, or even initially we talked about residential schools and everything that's happened there, you know, I'm sure he'll be happy to entertain, um, those requests and those thoughts on his Instagram. So you can definitely uh, check him out there. Yep. Right. right on. All right. Jay, do you have any, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, I, I really appreciated you sharing all of this. And I learned a lot because like, this is like a perspective that I haven't actually really seen that much. And, uh, and I'm really grateful for it. And, and it really uh, introduced a, a lot of new thoughts and ideas into my brain with uh with just how uh just in general like how uh not only how people can uh be thrown into a bad place but how uh you can like progress your your life and and kind of find your purpose you know so i really appreciate you coming on it was really nice to talk to you and hear your story yeah no problem appreciate you guys thank you all right all right guys thanks so much for watching this is our mentor series episode uh, and yeah, thank you guys again for the love and support. Uh, keep watching, keep sharing, keep liking, and we'll see you guys on the next one.